0: Thank you all for being here with us today. Uh, We are in part two of a message series called Kingdom Come, and this is our lead-up to Easter message series. This is our Holy Week message series, and it's interesting to note that about 50% of what's written in the Gospels, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about 50% of what's covered there has to do with this one week in the life of Jesus and his followers. It is an action-packed week. It is an important week filled with important events, and so we're highlighting a few of those events as we make our way through this message series. Last week, we took a look at the events of of Palm Sunday a little bit, and Palm Sunday is this day that we celebrate where Jesus makes His triumphant entry into the holy city of Jerusalem, and the people, the Israelites, they wanted something from Jesus. They wanted Jesus to save them from oppression. Likewise, just a few years ago, so many of us Christians, we wanted Jesus to save us from the pandemic. But Jesus did not enter into this world to save us from a pandemic. And whenever we Christians and whenever we face any kind of trial or tribulation, a a sickness or, or, or poverty or any kind of hardship, we turn to Jesus and we seek his help. And we should. We should seek his help because Jesus cares. And He wants to share those burdens. He wants to carry those burdens for us. But for those of us who are Christians, we need to keep in mind what Jesus told us. And he told us that in this world, we will have troubles, but we are to take heart because Jesus has overcome this world. Furthermore, Paul explains for us throughout the New Testament that we will face these trials. We will face these times where, where our character is being refined and these hardships, they shape us, they change us. And, and in fact, they do. And so when we have these experiences, these tough experiences of life, because that's what life is, right? It's a series of, of tough things that happen to us, yes? When we have these experiences, we should go to Jesus, but we need to remember why Jesus came into this world. Jesus did not enter into this world to save us from some kind of a temporary problem. Jesus entered into this world to save us from hell. To save us from hell. Now, I'll admit to you, as a preacher, as somebody who stands up here looking out, I love to see smiling faces look back at me. Oh, I love it. Makes me feel encouraged. Makes me feel like you're with me. But last week when I talked about hell, there were no smiling faces. How about that? It's probably a good thing, yes? If I'm up here talking about hell and you're like, yeah, yeah, let's hear more. There's something, there's something wrong if that's, if that's your response to me talking about hell but we need to keep this in mind. We need to remind ourselves of this, that yes, Jesus is our savior, and what he comes to save us from is hell. And we are saved by Jesus, and what we're saved from is hell. And people like me, we can kind of dance around it a little bit, preachers. We can talk about how Jesus saves us from our sin, and he has. We can talk about how Jesus saves us from death, and he has, but we need to keep in mind the big thing that Jesus saves us from is eternal separation. From the Father. And so Jesus has not entered into this world to save anybody from a temporary, temporary suffering. He's come to save all of humankind from eternal suffering. Jesus entered into this world to save us from the biggest problem of all time. That's why He's our Savior. And that's what Jesus saves us from. Before we get into today's topic, I do have a confession that I need to make. And uh, I'm not sure how this is going to sit with you but I'm just going to pray for your forgiveness and hope in time that you will be able to move on from this. Um, Okay, here goes. Here's my confession. Um, I have not watched The Chosen. I know. I see your faces already. You're shocked. You're shocked. I I apologize. I ask for your forgiveness. Does everybody know what The Chosen is? Do you know what The Chosen is? Okay. Okay. It's a a series, a TV series, it's about the life of Jesus, and I've heard good things about it, yes, and I know like as a Christian, I'm supposed to have watched it already, but I did not see it, I apologize for that, I hear good things, I did try, I watched the first 15 minutes or so, Um, but I'm sorry, I just, I haven't, I haven't, wow, you are so disappointed by me, look at your faces, I'm sorry that I haven't seen it, and I'm sure it's great, I I hear that it's great, and I hear that it's wonderful, and, and maybe I'll get around to it one day. But I want to tell you why I haven't spent time with that series yet, and this might sound a little bit bizarre to you. I mean, the one factor is just, you know, you know what it's like when they make a movie or a TV show based on a book, and you watch it, and you're like, I just like the book better. You know what I mean? So that's part of the, part of the reason why I haven't watched the Chosen yet. But also, I don't want to have my concept of Jesus based on or influenced by a TV show. Okay? I just don't. And you're allowed to watch it, and you're allowed to love it, and you can have watch parties, and you can even set up something here, where we watch it on the big screen. That's fine by me. That's fine. I just, I don't want to have my understanding of who Jesus is to be based on or influenced by a TV show. I watched the first first 15 minutes of the first episode, and there is a disclaimer at the beginning. It says something like, this is based on the events of the Gospels, but we've taken some liberties to make it more cinematic, something along those lines, and I understand how cinematic storytelling works. But in those first 15 minutes, I'm like, well, nothing, nothing's happening that's from the Bible yet. What's going on here? What's happening? Let's get to it, yes? The Bible is so action-packed. The New Testament is so action-packed with stuff. Why do we have to make stuff up anyway? So I gave it a try. But like I said, my big reason is I don't want to have my understanding of who Jesus is influenced by a TV show. Holly and I, we have a friend every year. This friend, she uh, listens to Jesus Christ Superstar during Holy Week. Do you know that musical Jesus Christ Superstar? you guys know it? Should I sing it for you now in its entirety? No, we don't have the time. Maybe next week, yes? But every week, every every year she does that during Holy Week in the lead up to Easter. She doesn't go to a church service, she doesn't read the Bible, but she listens to that to get her in the mood for Easter. That's fine. It's a pretty good musical as far as musicals go. I'm not the biggest fan, but it's a pretty good musical. You can listen to that and you can sing along and you can turn it up in the car radio and you can just be singing along, Jesus Christ superstar. That's great. That's awesome. But I don't want my concept of Jesus based on a hit rock opera by Andrew Lloyd Webber. I just don't. And so that's that's kind of where I am with this kind of stuff. And I'm not saying it's wrong. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just, I'm cautious. I'm cautious of that. Furthermore, I don't want my concept of who Jesus is based strictly on church tradition. Yeah? Church has been around for 2,000 years. 2,000 years is plenty of time to get some stuff wrong about Jesus, yes? There are certain churches, certain denominations, they have this idea of Jesus. And when I hear what certain churches are saying about Jesus, I'm thinking to myself, where did you come up with these ideas? And so I don't want to have my concept of Jesus just based on church tradition. I don't want my understanding of Jesus to be based on what some preacher says, yes? Yes? Because there's a lot of voices out there, a lot of people like me, a lot of preachers telling you stuff about Jesus. Well, what if they're wrong? What if they're misrepresenting? You know, people like me, we can do that. There's this temptation to to take what Jesus said and did and kind of sand off the rough edges. You know, Jesus had some harsh words, and there's this temptation, let me turn the volume down on those harsh words and kind of emphasize the love and forgiveness and compassion, and let's forget about the other stuff. Like, I don't want to have... My idea, my concept, my understanding of Jesus, just based on what some preacher says. I would like, this is my desire, I want to have my concept of Jesus based on, can you guess? Based on the Bible, based on the scriptures, based on the text. And if our concept of Jesus isn't based on the text we can arrive at some very bizarre conclusions about who Jesus is and what he's all about now there's ideas about Jesus in our world and in churches that Jesus was just like he's a good teacher and he's a good man sure yes he was a good teacher yes a good man sure but he's more than that he's the son of god who died on the cross for our sins yes these ideas about Jesus and you know some people When preachers are talking about hell, they just like, oh, I can't stand this whole stuff about hell and all this fire and brimstone. Jesus would never do that. Jesus would never preach about hell, except that he did. Actually did a lot, yes? So we need to have our understanding of who Jesus is based on scriptures. And I can tell you that as the pastor of this church, when I stand up here, when I talk to you about Jesus, it is my intention to give you the real Jesus, to take what I've learned from the text and give it to you, but it is dangerous to just count on me. (laughs) I can't be your Bible for you. Yes, you have to read it for yourself. I can't be your substitute for reading the text for yourself. When you go to the Bible, you can learn who Jesus really is and why he came into this world. Here's what we believe at Hope Community Church. Here's what we believe about the Bible. We believe that it is the Word of God. We believe that it is infallible. We believe that the history contained in the Bible is actual history. And where God's commands are given in Scripture, those are really God's commands. And when we're told in the Gospels that Jesus said certain things, that He said those actual things. We believe that the Bible is trustworthy, it is the authority, it is infallible. Furthermore, we believe that the Bible is a revelation. It is God's revelation to us. The entirety of Scripture is God saying to us, hey, I'm trying to show you something. I'm trying to show you something. All throughout Scripture, Jesus is there, and God is trying to show us something about Jesus, about our need for a Savior. Yes, we have the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four biographies of the life of Jesus, but before that, we have the entire Old Testament. The Old Testament is the setup for Jesus. It's more than that. But it gives us the explanation of why we need a savior, and it shows us what God is up to, and he gives us these clues, these hints, and then sometimes it goes way beyond just being subtle, and he outright tells us, here's what's going to happen. Here's what I'm doing. You can go all the way back. I mean, the story of Jesus goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve, the first two people on the planet, and they sinned. They broke God's rules. They realize they were no longer innocent, and they realize they were naked, and they try to make some, you know the story, they try to make some clothing for themselves out of leaves, and God says, what have you done? You have sinned. And God himself, he he slaughters an innocent animal, and he takes the skin of that animal, and he makes clothing to cover Adam and Eve. And when God does that, just, he's trying to show us something, like, look, pay attention to what I'm doing. They sinned. I've shed innocent blood because they sinned, and now I'm going to cover them with these animal skins. God's trying to show us something about Jesus. We move forward in the timeline to the time of Moses, the time of Exodus, the book of Exodus, and there's Moses. And God called Moses to do this tremendous thing, this tremendous thing. And that was actually that was one of my traditions growing up. We used to watch the Ten Commandments. Did you ever see that movie? We used to watch that during Holy Week. But God calls Moses to do this incredible thing, to save the Hebrews, the Israelites, to save them from Egypt. And they were a slave nation, a slave race in Egypt. And God calls Moses to do this tremendous thing. And God works these powers, these miracles, these plagues through Moses. And these plagues, plague after plague, befalls the Egyptians until they'll finally let the Hebrews go, let the Israelites go. And the last plague is the worst of all. It's the plague of death. And there's this horrific event in history where God sends his angel of death over the land of Egypt. And that angel of death kills every firstborn son of the Egyptians. Awful. It's awful. But God says to Moses, here's what you need to do, Moses. You and all the Israelites, you need to take the blood of an innocent Unblemished lamb. You need to take that lamb and slaughter that innocent lamb. And then you need to take that blood of the lamb and paint it over your doorways so that when the angel of death comes through, it will identify, okay, that's receiving that notice, that notification from from Moses. Hey, here's what we have to do. We need to take the blood of an innocent lamb and paint it over our doorway. Why do we have to do this, Moses? Why? Wouldn't God's angel of death know which households to come to, which households to visit, and which households to skip? Why do we have to do this, Moses? I think God was trying to show us something. God said to Moses, after after this whole thing is finished, after you're free from Egypt, you're going to celebrate this night. You're going to celebrate this time, the time of your deliverance where the angel of death passed over your households where you were saved by the blood of an innocent lamb. I'm trying to show you something. Yes, God's revealing something to us. So Moses leads... Israelites out of Egypt, and, and Israel becomes the first theocracy, a true theocracy, a nation ruled by God. God was their president. God was their king. God was their law-making body. And God gave them laws to govern all aspects of life. And God gave them holidays to observe, and God gave them this sacrificial system that they were to observe. God built into his laws this thing. He's like, I know you guys aren't going to be able to to maintain all of these laws. I know you're going to fall short. You are going to sin. And so what you are to do, he tells the Israelites, what you are to do is you are to come before a priest with a sacrificial lamb, an innocent, blemishless lamb. And you are to have that lamb's blood shed for your sins. How would that sit with you? Well, how did, why does God need me to do this? How is this fair? I'm the one who sinned. Why is this innocent creature dying? And God would say to us, I'm trying to show you something. Somebody else taking the punishment that we deserve. Somebody else dying in our place. At long last, Jesus enters into this world And the prophets tell us about his coming. The prophets tell us what he will be like. And Jesus shows up during the time of John the Baptist, the prophet. And when John the Baptist is, God reveals this amazing thing to John. says, this is it. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. And when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he gives him his first title. Jesus is known by many titles, but but John the Baptist gives Jesus his first title. This is before Jesus performs any miracles, before he gives any of his sermons, John identifies Jesus, and he calls him the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Why would God need a sacrificial lamb? God is perfect. God is sinless. Why does God need a sacrificial lamb? Well, he doesn't. And John explains, behold. That's how it is in, in the King James, behold. That's such a dramatic term, right? It's a lot better than, hey, look over there. It says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is before Jesus even really gets, he hasn't started yet. And he's been identified by the prophet John the Baptist as this is the man, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's right there. It's right there explained for us who Jesus is and what he, what he is about. He is the Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb of God. God is sacrificing this lamb, not for his own sake, not for his own sins, but sacrificing this perfect lamb for the sins of the world. We move forward in the timeline. Jesus has this this famous conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And in this conversation that takes place in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, Jesus explains who he is and why he's there. And John, who wrote that gospel, John, the disciple who wrote the book of John, explains to us why Jesus came into this world why God sent Jesus into this world, and we have that, that well-known verse, John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life." And it's explained for us right there who Jesus is and what His agenda is and what He came to save us from. He's came to give us the gift of eternal life. And everyone who turns to Jesus and puts their belief, puts their trust in Jesus as opposed to trusting in themselves, they will receive the gift of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. They will receive the gift of heaven. We Move forward in the timeline. We get to that day of, of Palm Sunday and celebration. They're about to celebrate the Passover that week. And so Thursday night, Jesus gathers with his disciples. And they were there to celebrate the Passover. And they had this very special holiday where they were to look back generations ago and look back and remember what God had done for their people. Do you remember the night that God saved us by the blood of the Lamb. Do you remember where He saved us from our slavery and gave us freedom and made us into a nation? And during this Passover celebration, they, there was rituals, and there was a script that was to be read or to be recited, and they were to go through this, these motions and to remember what God had done for them way back in the days of their redemption from Egypt. And Jesus, he leads this Passover supper. And he changes the script. He changes the purpose of the Passover. And they had this thin kind of crackery bread. And as they ate this thin bread, they were supposed to remember what it was like when their ancestors had to leave Egypt in a rush. They were about to be saved, so they didn't have time to put yeast in their bread and let it rise. They had to eat this thin crackery bread. And so Jesus took that thin crackery bread. And he was supposed to say, remember when our ancestors remember when they were freed from Egypt? But instead, he takes that bread. and He breaks it. He says, this is my body, which I'm giving you. I want you to take this. I want you to eat this, and I want you to remember me. Jesus takes this holiday, takes this celebration, and says, I'm making this about something new now. This is now about me. And Then he takes the cup, a cup of wine. and As they were given that cup, and as they drank from that cup, they were supposed to remember the blood of the innocent lamb that was over their doorpost, that blood of the innocent lamb that saved them from the angel of death. Jesus takes that cup and says, this is my blood that I'm shedding for you. Take this and drink it and remember me. Now this holiday is about Jesus. Now this night is about Jesus and his sacrifice for us. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus and his disciples, they shared that last Passover meal together. They shared that Last Supper together, and less than 24 hours later, Jesus fulfilled his destiny as the sacrificial lamb of God that died for the sins of the world. That's who Jesus is. And we can, we can, you know, we can listen to musicals, and we can watch shows about Jesus, and that's, that's great, but let's remember who Jesus really is. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And this Jesus, this is my Jesus, the Jesus that died for us. This is the Jesus that I worship, that I serve, and that I love. This is our Jesus, the Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. Is this your Jesus Is your concept, is your understanding of Jesus based on the historic text of what Jesus has done for us? Because if it's not, you can arrive at a lot of weird conclusions, wrong conclusions about who Jesus is and what he was all about. I told you this story in the past, but there was a moment in my life where I was 18 years old and I was kind of done with church stuff. I shouldn't say kind of. I was done with church stuff, but I wasn't done with Jesus. So I sat down and I said, I'm going to read this Bible for myself. And I realized how big it was. I said, all right, well, I'm going to read the New Testament for myself. Like, all right, well, let's take this one book at a time. I'm going to read Matthew, right? I'm going to read this for myself. And that experience of reading that book of Matthew by myself changed my idea of who Jesus is. Like I said earlier, I can't be your Bible for you. All I could do was encourage you to read it for yourself, to get in that text for yourself. Because the Jesus, man, that Jesus I met when I was 18 years old, that Jesus of the Bible, I was like, this guy is amazing. I love this Jesus. The Jesus of the Gospels, the Jesus of the Bible, that is our Jesus. We need to have our concept of Jesus based on the text. Listen, as a church, we can't fall into this temptation of attempting to make Jesus more palatable to a modern audience. No, no, no. And we can't fall on this temptation because a lot of preachers and a lot of churches do this. They fall into this temptation of like, you know what? I know Jesus said this very harsh thing, but I'm going to make some excuses for why Jesus said that harsh thing. No. We don't have to make excuses for Jesus. This is what we need to do. We, right here in the Ridley Innerboro area, we have 60,000 neighbors. And we need to give them the opportunity to know Jesus for who He really is and the hope that they will accept him for who he really is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Today, we are going to celebrate communion. We are going to celebrate that last supper. So um, when you came in this morning, maybe you picked up one of these little cups of bread. Uh, If you did not grab one of these, um, I'm going to ask you to come up now. There's some right here. Does anyone need one? Help yourself. And yes, these little prepackaged cups, these were as a result of the pandemic. We started doing communion this way. And so here's what we're going to do. There's a little plastic flap, and we open this up, and we'll take the bread together. And then there's a second little flap. We'll open that up, and we'll drink the juice together. And this communion, we have an open table here. This communion is open to everyone who accepts Jesus as their Savior. And I just want to say this to you. If you're somebody and you're on the fence right now, or if you're not sure what to make of all this Jesus stuff, that's fine. Keep asking questions. Keep seeking after answers. But to all of you who have accepted Christ as Savior, you are free and welcome to receive this communion. Before we take the bread, before we drink from the cup, let's take a moment now to pray. To prepare our hearts to receive communion, let's take a moment now to confess our sins before the Lord in silence. Jesus, on the night that you were betrayed, you gathered with your disciples. You gathered with your friends. You ate the Passover meal together. And Jesus, you took the bread. You gave thanks for it. You shared it with your disciples. And you told them, this bread is my body. I'm giving for you. Take and eat this and remember me. Likewise, you took the cup, you gave thanks for it, you shared it with your disciples saying, this cup is my blood, this is the blood of the new covenant that I'm shedding for you. Take this, drink it, and remember me. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and for what you have done for us. Jesus, you have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. You gave up your body and you shed your blood for our sins. You took on that punishment that we deserve. Lord Jesus Christ, we do not put our trust in ourselves and our own capacity for goodness, but we put our trust in you for our our salvation. We put our trust in you For the forgiveness of our sins, we put our trust in you for eternal life. Amen.